We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. My name is Dr. Heidi Forbes-Usta, and today I have Dr. Anna Kabeka joining us, who lived a life, as I describe it, as a family untethered. They traveled around the world together. She homeschooled, and she had all kinds of incredible experiences. And we'll learn a lot more about her work and her life as we go through the journey with her. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for having me, Heidi. Good to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of what led to this journey and the decision to go take a year off with your whole family and and travel the world? You know, I grew up as first-generation America. I always say my house was the United Nations. <laughs> there were always people from all over the world that came by, stopped in, stayed over. And I just have loved the stories of travel. And for me, just that from a young age, travel has been my meditation, meeting people with different perspectives and different environments and just soaking it in and soaking it up. And I, I really love that. And we had a personal tragedy that spurred me. I've always wanted to travel. I've always traveled and spent summers in different countries, but we had a personal tragedy that led me to what I called my healing journey around the world. And that really spurred me to take a year off of my medical practice as a gynecologist and obstetrician and take my family and just keep the earth moving under our feet. And so I would say I went around the world to learn that uh, expression, everywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. And I, I mean, I think it's always a, a sort of philosophical journey as we make the physical journey. Where are some of the places that you went to and sort of what, you know, you had very different experiences in each one. And you described a little bit in the green room, but I'd love for you to share those so our folks can get a little context. Yeah, we started off in the US and just even going to a Native American tribe and working with a Native American shaman and then heading to South America, kind of in this around the world plane ticket that we did and arranged several home exchanges along the way. And so we really lived and immersed in the different countries, which was really amazing. So first stop was in Peru and went from the city of Peru, living with a family there to going, doing some of the tourist stuff, Cusco and Machu Picchu, and then went to Brazil and we lived in a fazenda, which is like a plantation. So a Brazilian plantation, it was a coffee plantation that had essentially organic coffee with the woman owned plantation owner. And so our fazenda owner, and that was just a fabulous experience to experience that type of existence and actually to find out that coffee is a berry and it grows on bushes. <laughs> like, ah, oh, this is how it's made. How cool, right? And the kids would collect fruit and collect seeds and they did a seed report for me on the journey, right? And, and the different foods from the, you know, I mean, just name it, all the different types of food, acerola, jacaranda, and the cashews, seeing how the cashew nut grows on the outside of the fruit. I mean, just really crazy, amazing. And as while I was still meeting with scientists, we went to New Zealand and Australia from there, and then Asia, and then Israel, and then Europe. And so it was kind of that circuitous route around the world. 
I love it. And so what were the ages of your kids? Because you you had homeschooled them through that whole process. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe at one point, you actually put them into schools somewhere along the journey, somewhere in the... Yes, uh, Australia. Australia. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what were the age and what were the challenges and what were the joys of doing with their particular age group for you? Yeah. So this is back in 2006, 2007, when we we're going around the world and it, they were just turned seven and 10 at the time. That was, you know, the second and fifth grades. And, you know, one finished schooling for her homeschool curriculum within like three or four months. And the other, you know, was more is more of a hands on learner. And she was always the youngest in the class. So we actually ended up holding her back a year when she came in, which worked out, you know, really, really well. And so that took a lot of pressure off her during the journey and just to be able to experience the museums and the lives versus sitting at a computer and doing her work. I totally get that. So it was one thing that was beautiful as part of the schooling aspect, because my kids have always been in a small school or, you know, the regular schools in this area. And they, what I was able to see was their natural instincts, where they were driven and what information they were attracted to and, and how they learned. And, you know, without restriction and to see that open up, it was, it was truly amazing. And then also on the flip side, when we came back to see it kind of shut down again, those, you know, boundaries be put in was something else to notice and has been a challenge to work around too. Once you see that amazing ability and then it's like, okay, deadlines, testing, schedule. So the freedom, the schooling that we did was amazing in that way, just to see their personalities yet with education roots. And yet also with that said, you know, homeschooling, not my forte. I said I would never do it again. And here I am now with a 12-year-old homeschooling yet again. But when we were in Australia, Heidi, we explored some schools there. We were there for two months in an area called Geelong, which is near Melbourne in South Australia. And we did the home exchange and stayed in a, in a cool little suburban area. We watched their cat and they were during the drought. So we recycled our water, the, you know, everything was recycled and we were really conscientious about that shower water, watered the garden and the kids got to see and experience that real life modification and challenge. And we looked at different schools. And again, this is where it's really neat when you're out of the boundaries of, of jurisdiction, so to speak, like you're in this area, you have to go to this school. They had uh, several options that my kids could go to. And so there was a brand new school, all shiny and computered. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the school. Yeah, let's go to that school. And then that my daughter's like, mm, well, what other schools they are? She was the 10-year-old. I took the 10-year-old with me to choose the schools. And she said, well, what other schools? We go, well, there's a school that teaches sign language. They have a high deaf population. And we go there and they just had a sewer break. It's a really old school. They had a sewer break. You can imagine the smell going in. And yet that was the school. That was the school my daughter chose. And they went to, she learned Australian sign language, which is different than American sign language. And so, and both daughters loved it. They were integrated into the classrooms right away. And the one rule of the school, the kids got the biggest kick out of where was that hats mandatory to have those wide brim hats, hats mandatory, shoes optional. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> and for Southern Georgia girls, that was just perfect. 
How did you find, I mean, a lot of people sort of want to or aspire to do the homeschooling thing or dread it entirely. I mean, it's one thing to do it when you're, where everything else is sort of fixed and and in your comfort zone and normal. And then there's the whole different thing when you're doing it on the road or in a different place. The challenge that a lot of people experience is sort of that coming back in. And you talked, you touched on it a little bit with one of your daughters. You, you had her hold back a year and that transition. And, and that can also happen when you're, you know, you're an expat moving from country to country and it's different school systems, whether they have different start times from September to September or whether it's the, you know, the calendar year or whatever it is. You know, what were some of the things that I think I'm curious more from your your kids' perspective were challenging for them and how they were perceived coming back into a different school system? Did you find that they struggled or that they had a new appreciation after coming out of that different experience going back into a regular school system? Yeah, and I think, you know, each child is so interestingly unique, right? So my seventh, my second grader went right back into third grade. We did need to catch up with some math concepts and she just assimilated right back in. Never the overachiever, very much comfortable, you know, with B's and kind of like she's all still to this day in college that way. But, you know, very, 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 they're very good socially. And then my older one, who was in kindergarten, we had the choice to hold her back or to bump her ahead, I mean, or to let her continue. And so when we came back in, actually, she was in a smaller school. This is part of my functional medicine background early on in kindergarten and first grade. They, you know, the diagnosis was that this child was attention deficit disorder, very hyper, very active. And every time I would go see her in the Montessori classroom, she was cutting vegetables. And me, the scientist, you know, the physician, the like, give me books and let me just suck them up. I can breathe books. was like, what are they teaching you? You know, I mean, this is what you're doing. And honestly, till this day, that is, she loves, she makes the best food and, and she loves hospitality, but also coaching and helping others. Again, clinical, mm-hmm. experiential learner. So way back, it's nice to have this perspective, having four daughters, ages 12 to 31 now, I can really see this. But so there was always that decision, do we hold her back? Do we not? And I, I didn't medicate her. I gave her, you know, that's my whole functional medicine approach, right? Really worked in treating the underlying issues and helping her with that. So a smaller, we came back to a smaller school and there was only one other girl in her sixth grade class. And there were five girls that she all knew really, that she knew really well in her fifth grade class. So it was very easy. I was just like, what class do you want to be in? She's like, definitely fifth grade. So for her, it was just, it was the perfect timing, the perfect time to go into that fifth grade. And she said she never regretted being held back. Mm -hmm. She had good friends from that time period and she fit in. So that was an easy, an easy reentry for her. And yeah, so I think that's, it just really depends too on the, on the children. And I think for me, it was just like, okay, you know, what is the best interest of my child putting my ego out of it? And, you know, praying for discernment and making the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always the challenge is to be able to let the child take the lead and, and say what feels right for them. There's some really interesting studies around inquiry-based learning and sort of how that can be applied, particularly when you're doing homeschooling, because you have the opportunity to learn through experiential, like taking them to a museum or actually getting out into the ground and, and really touching things and feeling things. So kudos to you for the amazing work that you've done with your kids that clearly have uh, 
have learned how to thrive coming out of that. I want to circle back a little bit with what you touched on with the functional medicine, because one that's another piece that I found living abroad is really challenging when you have these different different ways of treating, you know, there's different schools of thought in in each country and culture around medicine, particularly around things like ADD or any kind of mental health issue. A lot of the times it's treated with a medication or it's sort of glossed over and said, oh, well, they'll grow out of it. So there's, and then there's others that, you know, sort of throw all kinds of different things at you. And it can be very confusing getting access to the right information or getting access to the right tools, whether it be supplements or food things. What are some of the things that you used on your journey to be able to make sure that those needs were covered? Yeah, well, definitely like understanding, first of all, with my child with attention deficit that, you know, what we, right, food is medicine. Food is medicine. It can also be poison. And so cutting out dairy, cutting out gluten, cutting out caffeine and sugars, that is huge. And especially when the common classroom will have a box of candy on the desk, you know, and those are the challenges that were some of the challenges that we faced. And again, as my eyes open, I'm conventionally chained. I was like, talk to my dear friend, the psychiatrist and had her evaluate my daughter. ADHD was the diagnosis here. Try some Adderall. Like, is there anything else? I mean, and that's what I tried. And it just shifted her personality to like, you know, just a shell of herself. And we did that for a couple of days. It was like, uh-uh, nope, this isn't going to work. And that drove me into you know, working in functional medicine and doing the omega-3 fatty acids, doing organic acid testing, actually understanding her mitochondrial function and her cellular needs. And what are those B vitamins that she needs, the methylators that she needs, and making sure that we, it's not so much as how much we give, but how much we can remove. So removing the sugars, removing the caffeine. In Georgia, we're sweet tea people, Mm -hmm. right? Stopping the sweet tea, you know, something as simple as that can be huge. Stopping the cereal for breakfast. And that's something else, Heidi. And I think this is so great when we get to experience different cultures around the world. One of my youngest, she had recurrent on the medical side of things. She had recurrent ear infections, sinus infections, as had I as a child. But we started, and she was on the verge of getting her adenoids out. And so surgical procedure for this chronic sinus infections and allergies. And so as we traveled around the world, she didn't have a single one. She didn't have a single infection. And we came back within a week she had another sinus infection that was like, whoa, here I am, Dr. Mom, what did we do different? Well, all of a sudden she's eating cereal for breakfast again. We didn't have that anywhere else in the world with the exception of Australia for a short time and very rarely because the part of homeschooling, what foods, what can you make? You know, let's Mm -hmm. come up with some native recipes. What does that look like? And that fresh food on a daily basis, basically, was more of our, and cooking out, Aussies like to cook out. And the other thing too, and even in Indonesia, where we stayed in a small village in northern Indonesia, where there's the black volcanic sand, you're like the only, you know, certainly the only Americans, everyone thought we were Germans, we were the only like non-native people there. And there was a school nearby that girls would hear these students at the school. And at this time, they're definitely eating healthy. They're having their tropical smoothies in the morning. They have coconuts. You know, they see the people go climbing up the tree to get the coconuts. And they made friends with these neighborhood Indonesian girls that didn't speak a word of English, but yet they played every day together. 
and shared, you know, what they ate, what they did, and somehow they communicated in really beautiful ways. So that's the beauty of the international travel and the immersion aspect that we don't get as tourists. Yeah, well, and I think uh, kids are so amazingly fluid with that. They just they just fall right into it. it. There is no language requirement. It's just go in and play. And I think as adults, we sort of forget that. And I think the people that enjoy travel, like our guests that uh, that are with us today, that is something that, you know, it for us, it brings out that play. And it lets us be the learner again. It lets us be you know, in an unfamiliar territory and and be okay with that. There's something really beautiful about that. You had mentioned earlier in the green room that you've got a new book coming out. And to circle back a little bit on the question that I asked earlier about getting access to the resources that you need in order to take good care of yourself. And if I understand it correctly, in particular, you're talking about as you're a gynecologist working with women who are going through menopause. And I think a lot of us out there, that is something that's treated very differently in different countries. And so access to things can be challenging. Can you talk a little bit about, share a little bit about your book, but also how that applying it may be different across different countries? Yeah, thank you. So actually, many of the concepts that are in my book are from my worldwide journey. You know, that really seeded into me that took me from a state of infertility and early menopause at 39 till to fertile at 41. And that whole journey was seated in me. And because I grew up with an international household, a wide variety of foods. So with Keto Green 16, my new book coming out, I chose 16 foods that pretty much anywhere you are, you can access. And there's a choice, 16 food types. So for example, if you don't have like there's one fruit option, digestive fruit, either mango, pineapple, or papaya. So pretty much around the world, we can get one of those, right? And if not, maybe kiwi and Australia would be a good substitute. So thinking about along the lines of the, of the family of foods, it's accessible and we're not looking for boxed anything. We're not looking for canned anything in this program. So, you know, there's certainly uh, options if we're struggling to use canned and boxed, um, whatever we need, frozen, et cetera. But around the world, I think one of the beautiful things that we see around the world is access to fresh foods. I mean, even now in Italy, in this crisis, fresh fruit foods are still available. And that is so powerful, something that is fresh, not canned, not stored, not potentially contaminated is, I think, uh, the best option. And especially as we go as for medical help, especially in the perimenopausal time period, where I, I say between age 35 and 55 is a period of neuroendocrine vulnerability. So it's crucially important that we get our hormones balanced during this time as naturally as possible. And I will have to say that, you know, all of the other regions in the world that I went to, women over 50 are less medicated than they are in the U.S. In the U.S., we are hyper-medicated. And that leads to polypharma, and there's no studies looking at polypharma in anyone, right? And so that's where it can really affect our immune system, et cetera. So, and we're the most obese nation in the world. So, you know, that's a critical finding. And as I worked with different cultures around the world and how they handle, you know, menopause, perimenopause, certainly a big advocate for bioidentical hormones, you know, especially bioidentical progesterone, and I created natural solutions for women with that in mind, making it accessible. 
and the safety profiles of it. And it's around the world, the same thing. It's often, for example, and when we lived in Munich in Germany for a while, I had just found out I was pregnant and I couldn't sleep. The first prescription was magnesium. Mm -hmm. And I think that holistic natural approach is more readily, it's more readily available. And we do need to be aware of that. There are many things we can do. And that's why Keto Green 16 is so powerful to create hormone balance through becoming more insulin sensitive and managing cortisol stress, as well as increasing our most powerful hormone in our body, the hormone of love, bonding and connection, oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of that holistic point where I always tell clients, it takes more than hormones to fix our hormones. And so with that right attitude, right lifestyle, good night's sleep, I mean, that's where we are 90 to 100% there. I love it. And that there, you touch on so many important points there. And, and I think one thing that we're all kind of experiencing right now, particularly in this time of quarantine, and we, as we don't know the future, we don't know when when the show launches, there will all be running around and living a free life outside of our homes again. But regardless, we'll all be carrying this experience with us. And I think during this time, it is triggering everything from high cortisol levels, poor sleeping patterns, stress levels, you know, just bad eating habits, going for comfort foods, drinking too much alcohol, all of these different things that we know better, and yet we're doing them. Do you have some any ideas and tips that can help people sort of break some of those patterns, whether we're still in quarantine or whether we're just trying to figure out where that happy medium is to get more centered and, and healthy during this time? Yes, definitely. I would give a couple key tips that definitely helped me because too, at the start of this, there's a lot of triggering going on, you know, a lot of triggering, a lot of stress, and that can, you know, a threat into to pull me down. I think my wanderlust has uh, definitely seeped into my children. I had one child studying in Holland at the time and now I'm again at the university doing her third year of college. And so all of a sudden it was Christ alerted to this crisis. Will I be able to get her back? Will she get sick? What will happen if I can't get her back? I've already lost one child. Would I lose this child? Do you know me? What was going on? I was totally triggered. All this good work I've done over the years, I could feel myself sinking again. Fear-based physiology coming up. Cortisol was robbing me of my peace and joy. I call it the great robber, you know, and it is a thief. And so I started to feel that right away. And it was immediately, okay, compartmentalize. I've got to think about these things like getting a mirror back. And she's back safe and sound. And we've been in quarantine four weeks or five now. So it was that initial instinct. Okay, let me compartmentalize my thoughts. And when you start getting this, these thoughts come up like, okay, I need to know what's going on in the world, but I don't need to know it every minute of the day. I'll take 15 minutes from 8 to 8.15. I'll think about what's on my mind. I'll think about these thoughts that come up. You know, like I'm like, oh my gosh, what if? Like, I'll think about that for 15 minutes from 8 to 8.15. You compartmentalize and that frees up your brain capacity and you honor that time because by then you're like, oh, yeah, look. What's the big deal, right? You got your over it or okay, let me just see what's the latest in news that really pertains to me. That's the first thing, compartmentalize. And the second part of that really is focusing on the positive. What is true to you right here, right now in your life? And and there's so much good. There's just so much good and there's so much to be grateful for. I mean, we are a blessed society and honestly that there's we know that we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. There may be some heartbreak for sure, and there certainly is. And we know there's a significant reality to this. But right now, right here, how am I? Am I well-loved? Am I loving well? And we keep that perspective. That's going to do a heck of a lot to manage cortisol. 
And when we do that, then we empower other hormones. Our adrenal, when cortisol's robbing us, when it's running amok, when it's like running wild, breaking and entering at will, which is essentially what it does for long periods of time, when we control it, when we compartmentalize and create these lifestyle, create a positive thoughts and positive physiology by going out in nature, for instance, those things decrease cortisol. And then our adrenal hormones, progesterone and our ovarian and adrenal hormones, progesterone and DHEA are sufficient. But when it's not the case, then we get increased PMS, hot flashes start, cravings start back up, you know, loss of willpower, fatigue, headaches, and we start to see all these relationship issues, skyrocketing rates of divorce and dislike, but also that feeling of disconnect. And that is physiology. My first book, The Hormone Fix, I go deep into it from my trauma. And it's that's mandatory reading for everyone right now. But it is that understanding that physiology drives our behavior. And so what we can do to really be clear with what is, is so beautiful in my life right now, and what can I do to, you know, what's in my control right now. And that is really a powerful process. So true. And I think a, a lot of people don't think about that when they think about their health is a, a lot of it we can control just by sort of, I guess it's controlling that monkey brain or just taking time to, you know, honor and respect what we're feeling and then letting it go. And there, there's that letting it go and being at peace with where you're at. I think that's a very powerful thing, both physiologically and psychologically. And we don't, we often don't make that connection. I think it's a really important thing to consider, especially when you're moving around and maybe away from your support system, which mm -hmm. a lot of people do experience, particularly right now, whether they're in isolation or whether they're just living further away, uh, like your daughter was in Holland. I'm glad you got her back. My son was overseas as well. I'm very happy to have him back. So we're all in shelter in place together. So that feels pretty good. We're very fortunate in that way. We also awesome. get that oxytocin from hugs, which a lot of people who are isolated and uh, sheltering in place by themselves really could use more of. So I think there's a lot to be thought about that. And actually, you touched a little bit on oxytocin, and I want to get circle back in that because that's something I actually, in my dissertation study, I looked at wearable technologies and presence of mind in the workplace. And one of the devices we used for the study, which was to counter hormone-related depression, was actually a wearable vibrator, but it was more with the intention of stimulating oxytocin to counter that lack of oxytocin in the system. And oxytocin is one of those things a lot of people don't really understand. There's sort of, you know, you can get it from a hug, you can get it from petting an animal, you can get it from obviously sex and, and an orgasm. But can you touch a little bit more on what oxytocin does and how we may be able to trigger that in different ways, maybe even from food? Yeah, absolutely. And so there's so much good research on oxytocin. It certainly is the hormone of love, bonding, and connections, the hormone of abundance in, in labor and delivery. When we're delivering our baby, it's the hormone we put IV into moms when we need to speed up their labor, pitocin, that's oxytocin. And so in so many ways, laughter, joy, pleasure, we increase our oxytocin level. So it is the most alkalinizing hormone. So part of my keto green is about getting alkaline and then getting into ketosis as well. So that's part of the key to green. And that's why oxytocin is so important. It is the most alkalinizing hormone over our bodies. It is more powerful than cortisol. So we, as we can cortisol be our master, or we can let oxytocin be our master. And that's really what we want to do. And we know that oxytocin has tremendous anti-aging ability. We've seen it muscle regeneration in 
studies looking at 70, 80 year olds and also with brain health, immune system. One of the reasons for happy marriages to have longevity is believed to be oxytocin without a doubt. And so those are ways, and certainly there is exogenous oxytocin that we can take by prescription with a physician, but short term, it may be needed for, you know, for us. And I've used it certainly in, in myself and my, and many of my patients, but it's also not a long-term solution. The long-term solution is to manage cortisol and to increase your own natural oxytocin production. So even like, that's why some binge eating, that stomach distension can cause increases in oxytocin. And that's the positive feedback for binge eating. So that's also an argument. And that's why, you know, like there's a lot of reasons for the madness in my protocols, but why we push that intermittent fasting and extended fasting. So that a little bit goes a long way, right? We're satisfied with a lot less. You know, we don't have to binge to feel that oxytocin and to really enjoy good food and good company. And that's, you know, that's a powerful realization for people too. And then there's, you know, a certain bacteria in our gut that can promote healthy oxytocin. And that's why diversity of plant foods is so important and an essential component too of my recipes, as well as fermented foods, because that's also another powerful way to make sure that we are managing the health of our trillions of neighbors within us, right? The microbiome, the bacteria, especially within our gut. So we're seeing improvements. There's some interesting research right now looking at lactobacillus ruteri and oxytocin production. So I'm waiting to see some in vivo studies. Exciting. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I look forward to seeing that too. I hope you'll pass that on to us and we can put a link to it in your notes. Heidi, I want to mention one thing sure. because of this, because when this is, you know, when people are experiencing, and you said right now, more hormonal issues, it's definitely a function of, of the stress and the implications on our Reproductive hormones, progesterone, DHEA, estrogen, testosterone, all tank during times of stress. But what people don't realize when cortisol is up for a long time, when cortisol goes up, oxytocin goes down. And then when cortisol is up for a long time, all of a sudden your nervous system, the paraventricular nucleus in your brain is saying, okay, you're frying me out, shut down. So then cortisol production suppressed. So you get into this dangerous state of low cortisol, low oxytocin. And that feels like social isolation. That feels like depression. That feels like I no longer love my spouse. I no longer love my work. I no longer love my profession. I, I no longer love doing activities I love. Why don't I love that? I don't feel love. And as I had experienced that and then saw it in my patients, you know, as I, I knew what I was, what questions to ask, I could see it almost you know, everyone who's had a history of trauma can have some level of this in their life until we empower oxytocin and reset our natural circadian rhythm of cortisol. Yeah, no, I think that's such a, a critical piece to to consider. And, and I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to be going through, you know, a quarantine right now to be thinking about that. I think in, in all cases, when we're when we're moving around, and we're just trying to, you know, to adjust to new environments, that can also be a trigger for trauma relocation and you know you just get into this high stress movement space where we forget to do self care and i think that that's something that it's relevant to everyone it's not just trauma that in terms of a death or or something like that and so i think it's important for us all to recognize that there's a value in that and be mindful of where your stress levels are and are and where your oxytocin levels are and and find ways to to counter them so that uh, and also i think 
as a person who has suffered from depression in the past, I get seasonal affective disorder. And that's part of the reason we moved back from Sweden to California. When you're in a depression, when you're in that place where things tank and all your levels are so low, you often are in also a state to not, you're, you're not really aware enough to recognize how bad things are. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's also important to have sort of a buddy system where you can have people that notice what's going on for you. Because when somebody says, hey, you don't seem yourself, it can be sometimes enough to sort of help pull you out of it enough so you can get help. I I know for me, it was only, you know, I didn't realize how bad it was until I was already coming out of it. In each instance, had I been in an environment where I could have had the support system, whether it was from getting the right supplements or getting access to the right tools, now I know much more about it. But I think that it's important for for us all to to think about in that self-care and to set up a buddy system where you have that support. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so important. I heard this from patient after patient because as part of my hormone regimen, I would say, okay, you have to follow my detox program, right? Essentially, what I would put clients on to really clear up their system and they would always come back. I didn't realize how bad I was feeling till I started feeling good again. Mm -hmm. I heard that over and over and over again. And it is so true. And I think that's why it's like, okay, you know, what do I, you know, what's my one next right step? Okay, what can I do to feel even better than I feel now? And what does that look like? And that's why one of the things I have clients do, you know, is test urine pH. Urine pH is a vital sign, Heidi. I know Mm. this is a part of our conversation, but let me tell you, it is so important because we had a client the other day who is a Olympic athlete, right? Eats amazingly. And she's having these hormone issues. I'm like, you have to test. She goes, "I, I eat all these greens, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you have to test. She text emailed me this morning. I read her email. She goes, my urine pH was five. It needs to be seven or greater. And as five is as low as the pH paper reads. So really, how much lower is it? pH testing is a vital sign. The biggest thing here is that it's not just what we eat, but stress increases urinary acidity. So for her, it was like, oh my God, I don't need to just go outside to check that off my to-do list. I need to go outside to reset my cortisol, mm-hmm. to improve my you know, energy, to you know, diffuse from this pent up stress that I'm under, you know, and the list goes on. But that part of self-discovery is so powerful. And if we see, and I see this, I mean, every patient that I've had with depression, totally acidic, Mm -hmm. right? And there is a neurotransmitter component to our hormone balance. You know, I mean, without a doubt, estrogen affects serotonin, our hormone of anxiety, testosterone, dopamine, our hormone of, of impulsivity and excitement. And progesterone GABA, a hormone of awe, calm, and relaxation, right? Really important hormones. And so for like postpartum depression, seasonal depression, I'm using vitamin D and bioidentical progesterone along with some other great supplements to use, SAMe, methylators, all that good stuff, and also customizing according to testing. But that is what is so cool is that when you do something small, like, you know, let me just do a cleanse just for the sake of doing a cleanse, even though I don't feel wrong or, you know, like I say, do my keto green detox, but how good can you feel? I mean, Mm -hmm. what if you could even feel better? What does that look like? And then test, don't guess, like check and see is cortisol ruling you right now? Is it robbing away? Because so many like you are highly, uh, you know, highly talented, highly gifted and compensate really well. Like how bad do you have to get to your like help? I don't know. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And I think, I mean, to your point, you know, vitamin D and, uh, you know, and oxytocin for me was when I realized, you know, I was with some old friends and we were sitting on a dock. I remember this moment so clearly. 
And whatever we were doing, anyway, we were laughing. We were laughing out loud, belly laughs. And I stopped for a moment. We were, you know, it was a sunny day. We're sitting there laughing, stopped for a moment. And I realized I couldn't remember the last time I'd laughed. And it was just this, oh my God, like there's something so wrong. I need to fix this. One, I need more laughter and I need more sunshine. Sunshine, I knew because I've had seasonal affective disorder my whole life. But the combination of those three things, having that support system, the vitamin D and the laughter and just triggering that oxytocin in sort of an extreme way, I all of a sudden felt myself again. And then it was so clear, okay, I need help. And so whether it's testing your pH or or whatever it is, maybe going out and laughing more often when, when mm-hmm. we don't even realize that that's such a, a simple thing, but so key. So mm-hmm. key. Yeah, so key. And I that definitely now to think, okay, where could I have laughed more today? Or how can I laugh today? What, you know, and yeah. just really embracing that. You know, we did, it's definitely been, part of my family plan here lately is what's the funny movie. So we did my big fat Greek wedding. And <laughs> then for one. the first time in my life, my kids made me do karaoke. And how much fun was that? We And I was so alkaline. Like that was like, just, you know, I mean, just really, it's a quick shift. Oxytocin mm-hmm. is the most powerful hormone in our body. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I could talk with you for hours. And I'm sure I'd love to get you back at another point when we Thank can uh, talk more. But Unfortunately, we've run out of time and it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And we'll make sure we put in the show notes a link to your book so people can learn more about Keto Green. It's Keto Green, what? 16. 16. Keto Green 16. 16. Yeah, it's just been such a treat having you on the show today. And thank you, Digital Nomads, Global Nomads, and all the rest for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review and share with your friends so they can learn more about the Global Nomad Hacks. Thank you again, Anna. And uh, yeah, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us, folks. Bye-bye for now.